there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? I'm Don Hall and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast designed to see the water that surrounds us. In the fall of 1997, several things happened in a rapid fire way that one would almost think had been planned. First, my wife, my first wife, and I decided to get divorced. It wasn't acrimonious at first, and we decided that A, she never really liked Chicago and wanted to move anyway. B, we'd become more like roommates than a couple, and neither of us were happy about it. And C, we hadn't sex, had sex in five years, despite couples therapy and sex counseling. We'd made it go for a long time, but we were just no longer compatible in almost any way. So it was divorce. Two... Jen Ellison, a comedy sports player from DePaul's theater school, which is a bit like saying a fry cook at McDonald's who graduated from culinary school, was helping WNEP with fundraisers and outreach. She had a lot of theatrical ideas, and she and I began planning some of her more outlandish, more traditionally theatrical concepts in short meetings and lunches. Three, Karen quit the ensemble, Jason and Kate quit the ensemble, Carton McLean and Cawson were moving on to different projects. Joe was working overtime for Jellyvision at the time, only known for the CD-ROM game You Don't Know Jack. Of the original ensemble, I was the only one left. Bob Wilson and Shavar were still involved, but without a solid artistic director, a position I simply wasn't interested in, we were a, a half-staffed boat with no course. Well, both... Bob and Jen were interested in being the captain of shows, and we had some nonprofit structure still in place. So I proposed that we have an interview process for an artistic director. Still, it was it was an unpaid position. It was still a chance to see where someone outside of the level six experience could take things. So we did it anonymously because we wanted to be fair. But Ellison's resume and artistic statements blew all of the other nine candidates away, including Bob who was genuinely unhappy about the decision, but went along with it grudgingly because her resume was just that damn good. Well, Jen decided we needed some more directors and decided that we would do a run of one-act plays previously published rather than original pieces to recharge the battery and put us on a slightly different footing critically. She'd always wanted to direct Peter Hankey's Offending the Audience. She brought Katie Cawson back in to direct Romulus Lenny's Stars. I directed Terrence McNally's Sweet Eros, originally featuring Cawson, but then quickly replaced by Jen when my interpretation was less female empowering than Katie responded to. To be honest, I can't quite remember all seven of the plays we did. Uh, there was a cutting of Shaw's Don Juan in Hell. I remember that because I played the devil and Bill Gorgo was in his first onstage performance with us. We ran the series, and we called it Offending the Audience and Other Short Plays, and it was at the Turnaround Theater where Comedy Sports was in residency. We ended up getting a rate because both Jen and I were in that company. 
And the direction of Sweet Eros, one choice I made caused, like I said, uh, a bit of controversy. The plot of the piece is already hard. A disturbed young man, soured by two failed romantic relationships, has kidnapped a young woman, a complete stranger, and taken her to his home in the country. As the play opens, the woman is seated in a chair, bound and gagged, the man sitting opposite, observing her. And the man explains to the woman his reasons for kidnapping her, saying he had long fantasized about doing such a thing to a young woman. He methodically strips his captive naked, presumably rapes her, then proceeds to subject her to an ongoing series of rants, ruminations, and reflections on life and love as he seeks to force the woman to understand him and ultimately to submit to him. Well, in the tiny space, I staged the scene where she stripped naked, and both Katie and Jen submitted to this by placing the man, Tom Farnan, in between her and the audience in just such a way that no matter where you sat, you'd have to stretch just a bit to see any nudity. And it put the onus on the audience to decide if they were pervy or not, and created a truly uncomfortable choice for them. Do they peek or not? But the debatable choice was that at one point in the play, the woman escapes her bonds while the man is offstage in the shower, monologuing. In the script, he catches her, puts her back in her chair. In our version, she has the opportunity to escape and then in a moment of intense conflict goes back and reties her own ropes, effectively making the decision to stay and be brutalized. Well, Katie had a hard time with this choice. My justification was that for far too many women, the choice to stay in an abusive relationship is made just like that. They have the opportunity to, this, to, to escape, and yet, for whatever reason, they choose to stay. That the women who stay, who choose to endure their own domestic torture, are rarely seen on stages or in art, and that that absence is kind of a cheat. A less honest portrayal, I guess. Well, Katie couldn't find her way around it, so Jen jumped in and played the character for the run. Um, it caused a bit of controversy in the audiences as well. Offending the audience in other short plays was, was a really good uh, series of one-act plays. It was good critically, solid audiences. I mean, if we hadn't had to pay royalties on all the plays, we might have even made a few bucks. But, you know, as it was, I ended up losing about $500 on the run. But that wasn't the point. More than anything else, the run was a signal that WNEP Theater was no longer tethered to Level 6 or to Improv Comedy. It was WNEP Theater under the artistic direction of, in my opinion, an artistic genius in many ways, although a young one in need of some experimentation. It was Jen Ellison's shot across the bow. It was WNEP 2.0.
Meanwhile, Joe was working hard on his next play. Now, the challenge to follow up Metaluna was kind of daunting, but he had the idea of retelling the story of the breakup of the Beatles through the lens of Eugene O'Neill. The result was A Hard Day's Journey Into Night and followed a Beatles tribute band as they slowly unraveled. Now, Jen decided we need some outside of WNEP direction, so I asked Gary Ruderman, a founding member of Chicago's Annoyance Theater, to read the script and come on board. Now, Gary had directed I Kill, So I Killed a Few People not long before I'd seen it. It was a one-person monologue with Mark Sutton, the monologue show, and it was really about a serial killer about to be executed, and this was his last, uh, you know, last request was to talk to this audience. And the show... It was brilliant, it was funny, it was horrifying. It was a tonal balancing act that he had accomplished almost effortlessly, so it seemed his touch would suit Joe's comedy through high drama approach to this particular play. Now, one thread throughout the play that was that we almost never truly see the whole story behind another's actions and often misinterpret them by assuming things, and nothing could have been more present than that for me. My divorce had hit me right between the eyes. My mom had been divorced throughout my childhood, and I'd kind of sworn to never be that divorced person. And now all of a sudden, I was. And at one point, fueled by sustained nights swimming in bottles of scotch, because I decided that drinking was better than the pain of dealing with being divorced, I made a half-hearted and comically stupid suicide attempt. Jen was the only person who knew. She came over and sobered me up, counseled me a little bit, and then brought in Chris Palmer to kind of watch over me and make sure I stopped bathing in alcohol. Consequently, I was a bit distracted during the auditions, during the rehearsals, and not the least of it, kind of a real asshole. Well, Gary, he cast Jason Meyer as sort of the George Harrison Beatle, uh, Tom Farnan as the uh, uh, Paul McCartney Beatle. Mike Ross was sort of the John Lennon, and he was also a teacher at Second City. Mike was a great guy. And a young Jason Sudeikis as sort of the Ringo uh, in the faux Fab Four. And he rounded out the cast with Pat Carton, Jen Ellison, Catherine Lee as sort of the Yoko Ono knockoff. I arranged rehearsal space and booked Donnie Skybox above Second City for the run. Not only was Joe a tour co-member and a teacher there, so we got a rate, Ruderman was the architect by trade that had designed and built the entire space of Donnie Skybox. So everything seemed like kismet. It was all kind of coming together. And then I got a phone call. Yeah, Don, this is Gary. Um, we need to talk about the rape scene. The rape scene? What rape scene? In the play? Again, what wait, What rape scene? No, I mean, I mean the scene where Ringo goes through the fantasy of his, his Sudeikis, he goes through the fantasy of his screenplay he's writing, the one where the Gramps character rapes his granddaughter, the cat, the vacuum cleaner. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, okay, I get it. Yeah, I, I get, really didn't think of that as a rape scene, but what's up? Cast won't do it. They think it's offensive to make fun of rape. Uh, well, I don't think he's making fun of rape. I think he's making fun of bad screenwriting. Well, the cast refuses to do it. Some have said they'll quit the show if we do it. Huh. You talked to Joe? I did. He, he He's not going to cut the scene or allow me to cut it. Well, you're the director. Do what you need to do. I don't feel comfortable cutting a playwright's work without his permission. So I had Gary and the cast 
staged the scene for me. I wanted to see it before I put it on, you know, put on my big producer boots and stomped all over Joe's artistic voice. And they were right to some extent. There was no rape in it. The word rape was never actually mentioned, and it was staged as a comically bad screenplay narrated by Sudeikis, but it was hard to watch. Worse than that, it really wasn't that funny. It could have been the scene or it could have been the cast, but it looked like to be a huge bad moment in an otherwise interesting and funny play. Now, as I said, I was distracted by the soupy mess of my life, so instead of simply talking to Joe about it, which would have solved all the problems, I staged a moment with he and Gary, wherein I strong-armed Joe in Lou Mitchell's restaurant. We cut the scene, or I pulled the production. It was less than a respectful approach, and it wasn't really fair to Joe, but despite being pissed, he agreed to pull the scene. Well, Joe's sophomore effort was not particularly well-received by the press. The reader's Larry Bomber wrote, A hard day's journey in tonight, WNEP Theater Foundation at the Second City Donnie's Skybox Studio. The title promises a Eugene O'Neill parody, but it never happens. Instead, Joe Jane's one act depicts the death of a dumb dream. Presumably inspired by This Is Spinal Tap and Forever Plaid, this 100-minute late-night show concerns an even sadder rock and roll band, The Beat Busters, a Beatles tribute group that has been together far longer than the Liverpool Quartet ever was. With an excruciating lack of urgency, Jane's chronicles their breakup as they cruise the Midwest on a final tour that pathetically echoes the Beatles' last days. This unfab four, a stone cynic, lithium-swilling pretty boy, homeless and horny drummer, and married stoic, founders on bad gigs, ambitions at cross-purposes, random love, and a passel of showbiz cliches. There's a potentially affecting story here, especially since the faux four have a demented fan who prefers them to the real thing, but Jane's hasn't bothered to provide a plot, just numerous maddeningly aimless episodes, including a bizarre, gratuitous mutual seduction involving a one-armed vacuum cleaner salesman and a throbbing matron. In Gary Ruderman's too casual staging, these seemingly improvised scenes don't end, they just run out of juice. Tom Farnham brings sullen conviction to his true-believing McCartney clone, and Patrick Carton grabs laughs as various cornball MCs, but the cast are hard put to be half as funny or sad as the innervating script supposes them. That was kind of typical for the press. Well, the production soured things between Joe and I, and at some point we ceased speaking uncharacteristically instead of being at every performance which was standard for me I only saw the show three times I was a mess the last vestiges of the original company had tanked out and I felt a bit adrift but Ellison had ideas lots of ideas ideas she'd had since college plays she wanted to do adaptations she had obsessed over but had never done and while I as a bit damaged I was still the guy who got shows up who financed things who made it happen that die-hard battery up my ass was low charged but still functioning it was 1998 the company was in rough shape but three shows shifted the balance to give WNEP a life beyond the 90s and well into the new millennium. If we could only get them off the ground.
Someone asked me last week why I podcast in the first place. Is anyone listening? She asked. And as I've been traipsing lightly through these seminal moments in my life, through both the lens of tattoos and the broader nostalgia of the art I participated in so many years ago, I understand that it doesn't much matter if anyone is listening. I am. I mean, it's like therapy, but, you know, far, far cheaper. Thanks for listening. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself in my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or catch it on SoundCloud, or download it from DonHallChicago.com. You can assist Peculiar Journeys financially, if you can, by becoming a VIP patron on www.patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys. 